0: Welcome to the latest Trevor Blue podcast Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman I'm really grateful for your company for sharing, for retweeting for telling everybody all about the the podcast which we do on a weekly basis just an early heads heads up that once we get into the World Cup uh, there will be a gap there will be a break I'm not going to continue on with the podcast during the World Cup they will resume so there will be another one next week we normally record on Sunday evenings in the UK we're going to record the next one next Monday evening when I'm hoping that Paul molden will be our special guest who has a new book out and is a great city lad so hopefully we'll be doing that one next Monday so if you're one of those people who expects the podcast to drop as they say either on a Sunday evening in the UK or Monday morning or wherever you are in the world, then it will be 24 hours later. And then we will take a break and return again when the Premier League returns round about Christmas time. So just a an early heads up that that's the case. Now, obviously, a big shout out to Howard Solicitors, who sponsor the podcast. They have offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So if you're likely to need some help or guidance, they'll have somebody who can help you 0161 872 9999 or email law at howardsolicitors.com or just go on the website howardsolicitors.com and tell them you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. So uh, the guests this week, we have returning the one and only Mr Les Chappie Chapman, who of course you will know as City's kit man for many, many years. So much more to him than that. He was a manager, player, long-standing and a, a, a top fella. You cannot find a nicer fella than, than Les. And we've also got um, Steve, who's one of our regulars, and Harlan, which is spelt H-A-R-L-A-N, <laughs> and not Harland, even though he's threatening to change his name by d now because he's become so popular. So not to be confused, Harlan. Uh, Steve's easy to remember, and of course, Les as well. So I want to talk about some of the old days, obviously, Les. Um, a little bit later on, but maybe we can. You can give me a little example of the type of thing that we might talk about. I mean, I don't know which direction to prod you in. And I know last time you came on, you talked about Mario Balotelli um, with with um, some good humour. Somebody I know that you you really liked. Um, but there have been so many uh, characters. I mean, I could start. You know, I know there's one story that we can't do on on here, perhaps um, about a certain Dutchman um, who was at the club for a while. Um, So perhaps we'll stay clear of that one. But uh, there have been other characters in the dressing room. Do you want to give us one little story just to get us a little taste of what we might talk about later on?
1: Well, you're right on the the character um, statement, though. There's been many, many characters. So many, so many stories. Right, off. We'll have one about Kolarov. Uh, uh, there was a particular spell where yeah, if anybody was um, making a mistake and saying something stupid, I would call them a Herbert. Apologies to anybody who's called Herbert, by the way. Uh, so this this stuck in the dressing room. Everybody who did something stupid, they would be called a Herbert. So we're playing Everton one day and uh, off in particular loved this set. Said Herbert, virtually everything anybody ever said, uh, and we're playing Everton one day, and he came in after the warm-up, and he said, "Chappy, one of our players is called Herbert."
0: I said,
1: "An Everton player?" He says, "Yeah, he's got." I said, "Oh, you mean Hibbert?" <laughs> oh, Hibbert. Uh, anyway, it, long story short, I had to get Hibbert's shirt off the kit man after the game and changed the eye to a knee and f he kept it in his locker the, the whole time he was there and I think he took it with him when he left um but there's so many there's so many little stories and about so many players you know it's just not not one or two there are there are throughout each season there have been many characters in many dressing rooms that you know there's there's a lot of stories I could I could relate.
0: Well, I think Harlan wants to ask you a question, so I'm going to hand over to Harlan. Go on, Harlan.
2: I just want to ask, Les. um, I said something in the week, and everybody on the podcast laughed. I don't know if anybody commented on it, Ian, but uh, I said something about, is Harlan actually George Samaras just kind of devolved and then kind of like rebirthed, but then decided to dye his hair blonde? Can you confirm whether he is... In fact, Giorgio Samaras with blonde hair now and that's devolved and not evolved.
1: I could categorically say it isn't the same person.
0: <laughs> Is that okay. because Giorgio Samaras was a bit of a character, Les? Uh,
1: lovely fella, dead straight fella, uh, really nice bloke. Uh, uh, and a lot older than Erling, of course.
0: Yeah. It was I would think so... he, he must have retired now, surely. Yeah, he must have done. I mean, I remember when City were about to sign him, people kept pointing me towards YouTube. You've got to have a look at him on YouTube. He scores loads of great goals. And I said, mm, you know, he's playing in the Dutch League. Let's see what he does when he came to City. After about half-time, I mean, you may have a different opinion on him, but half-time in the first game, I thought, nah, he's not mm-hmm. going to he's not gonna be the player you think he is. Um, it's Stuart Pearce? Stuart Pearce signed him, didn't he, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Didn't, didn't he go for one player and it ended up being a different player that he signed? That was another theory <laughs> I that I heard.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really want to comment on his, his particular uh, ability as a player. I just knew him as an absolute
0: gentleman. Yeah, and he was a gentleman. I interviewed him several times. He was a lovely, lovely fella, so yeah. I can't comment on whether he was any good or not. Yeah. It's something yeah, that way. Why I- the only reason why I say it is because of course he was a he
2: was a similar stature, of course, didn't have the goal scoring ability that Erling brings, but he was a similar stature. He was meant to be the, you know, the Erling Haaland of the day. We signed him for, I think, a record. Was it a record fee? And did you say six million quid at the time? Were no, maybe not a record, but it was the it was the most amount of money I'd seen a player sign for in my time as a city fan. I was, what would they have been then? I would have been about, I think I would have been about 11, 10, 11. Mm. Um Obviously, he'd come just after that. That year, like the goal, and Nicholas and El he. So he was deemed to be like the next best one alongside Bernardo Corradi. You, for me, scored a cracking goal away at Doncaster in pre-season. I don't know if you remember it, Ian. I mean, what a goal! That is in my top five goals ever as a City fan. Um, I didn't mean that tongue in cheek, but yeah, Georgios was. I, I said now, like you, you see, young play like young fans in the ground. They're looking at Erling Haaland as this big, big number nine. That's who I thought we were getting them when we signed Samaras. That's the only reason why I said it as a a, a joke. Uh, Long hair, same flick of the hair unless it's tied up, has that kind of robotic stature about him. But Erling brings the goods that Georgios unfortunately didn't on a regular basis. But kids now look at Erling like I looked at Georgios. And and, and, and at the time, although he wasn't banging in 18 goals in his opening period in the Premier League, he was one of my heroes as a kid.
0: I've got while you're on the subject of of great goals that were not necessarily the ones that you would automatically go for. Um, you know, and, and you said that one as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek and everything. I've got to tell you this one. I remember watching a Central League game at Main Road. Central League games used to be played on a Saturday afternoon and um, you know, they, they, they were taken a lot more seriously. I mean, Colin Bell came back from injury playing in the Central League Then there were big, big crowds, not like the sort of four or five hundred now we get watching the EDS when they, they play at the CFA. But I remember Mick Doherty, son of Tommy, who played for City, scoring a goal, and I swear, I mean, obviously these things always change over time and become more and more, you know, you put your blue-tinted spectacles on. But I swear, he scored a a volley from the halfway line into the top corner in a Central League game. And it stuck in my mind as being one of the greatest goals. Like, I'm pretty sure Alan Kernigan perhaps did something similar in the first team. But Mick Doherty scored that goal. And I thought, that's one of the greatest goals I'll ever see. I don't think anybody else saw it, remembers it. It certainly wasn't filmed, you know, but it's still there in my mind. But maybe my mind's gone a bit warped. So, Alan, what's your favourite sort of odd goal, as it were? Well, actually, it's
2: it's one that I think, it, I think it was around 2000 and maybe it was 2009, maybe 2009-10 pre-season. I'm sure we were in America that year. I think we played Portland Timbers and a couple, couple of other teams. Uh, and then we played AC Milan in this odd friendly. And I think it was, well, I say I think, I know it was Georgia, uh not Georgius, I've got George's Samarass in my head from before. It was Valerie <laughs> but, you know, Obviously, the 2008 season, um, I'd had 2007-8 uh, season just before Sven had taken over. I got... I got Valerie's name on the back of my purple away shirt. I'm sure Chappie's chap has seen a, one or two of them in his time, the purple ones. Yeah. Me and the kitman and all that, he would have seen them. Um, but I I obviously, I saw I saw lads getting uh, Ireland on the back. Um, you know, there were a couple getting uh, done on the back and Richards was a hugely popular figure back then as well, being a young lad that come through the, <laughs> the, the ranks. But I, I got Valerie Boydinov and it was because he was this Bulgarian front man alongside Martin Petrov that was deemed to be the person or one of the people to take us on to the next, the next step. And I had him on the back of my shirt. And then a week later, he got injured. Cruciate. So I thought, all right, well, I'll get to see my new hero play eventually, won't I? No, another season went by. I didn't get to see him either. And then I saw him hit a rocket left-footed from the edge of the box into the top corner against the one and only. Ronaldinho's one and only. Ronaldo's one and only. Ancelotti's one and only. It's So, yeah, it was unbelievable as a kid that. And, um, you know, Valeri went on to have a a, a decent-ish career in Italy in the end, but never what it should have been for us City fans. But then, of course, the legend himself, the Lord, not Jesus Christ, but Sheikh Mansour bought the club, and we went on to buy Rabinho. So all
0: was well in the end. I remember commentating on Rabinho's first goal, and I did one of them Brazilian commentaries, you know, Rabinho. And I heard one of those in the commentary box actually on the Wednesday night when City played Seville and they scored the goal that gave them the lead in that game. And the guy behind me is doing it, and all the crowd turned round and look at him and everything. It was great. Anyway, let's talk. Let's let's talk a little bit about the game uh, at the weekend against Fulham. Um, obviously, there were there are a few talking points in that game. Um, I don't know who wants to kick off, but I'll I'll just say that I know that City went down to ten men. So to win was absolutely vital, especially because we've seen Arsenal now win at Chelsea. But I actually thought City lacked a little bit of imagination in that game. And when Haaland came on, um, he made a huge difference. Obviously, he's he's, he's a phenomenon at the moment. And KDB is just on another level than everybody else. But overall... And I, I, and I said a bit of this sort of thing last week on the podcast and I certainly don't mean to be uh to be negative but I just don't think city are playing quite with the the imagination and the flair that they did now maybe it's just it's just because the World Cup's coming up maybe it's because players are a little bit tired maybe after the break they'll come back refreshed I don't know what it is but I don't see the same variety in the attacks um in, in the game but there were obviously some con- controversial points in that game too like, you know the offside goals and um, the penalty. I just, I just wonder what, what, and the sending off, of course. I just wonder what, what the I mean, I know you were at the game, Les. I saw you at the game. What, what did you make yeah, of? of the I game? um, well, I, I don't
1: think he started with his strongest team that he could have done, which possibly made a slight difference. Uh, because, like you say, Harland and uh, Ford have made a massive difference when they came on. But if you'd have been anybody and you'd have gone into that stadium after Concello had been sent off and you didn't know who'd been sent off Mm. and watched the rest of the game, you would have thought Fulham had 10 men.
3: Mm.
1: I thought City individually and collectively as a team, completely and totally divisions ahead of Fulham. Fulham for me were disappointed in the fact that they didn't have the same determination, the same attitude, the same work rate, the same will to win as City did. And having 11 men on City 10, for me, they never changed their attitude or determination or their style of play they didn't push forward they didn't press city at the back and they still try to play out from the back and city put pressure on every opposing team and that's how they win the ball back early but teams just don't seem to realize this and fulham certainly didn't and city with only 10 men still put the same kind of pressure on their back lads i thought it was a well you could see that the the result at the end, the, the relief and the the players and the management and the coaching staff, they were just so elated because it was a phenomenal result. Uh great performance. Again, 10 men and they still have like 80-20 possession s- stats. It's just the just a phenomenal team. I'm not sure I agreed. I mean, you you probably see them. A lot more than i do but i don't think that the performance was that bad yesterday like i don't mean bad but i mean i don't think it was any less than a normal performance with the team that started uh and certainly as i said as individuals and collectively as a team there
3: were divisions ahead of fulham mm-hmm. I- I actually thought yesterday, with about two minutes of injury time to go, I was in my mind disappointed that we were all in drawing. I thought they deserve a standing ovation for the effort and work rate that has got into that performance. When we go down to 10, people like Bernardo bring us back to 11 because he does the work of two men. And De Bruyne, honestly, to be one of the world's best players and to have his application and um, graft that he does he was down on his knees and then well, he, he came running towards us past a few people and sent a left footed crossover it was almost bang on Erling's head and he's it, it, just outstanding and when we got the deserved winner yeah uh, I know it was the penalty only just went in but it was so for 10 men and I'll tell you what we over the years the mercenaries that sign for us that everybody tells us about, or they don't care that they're playing for City. They just look out for their money. Yesterday, and they've done it before with 10 men, but yesterday showed you that we had 15 players yesterday, some people who didn't even get on, that want to play for Manchester City, want to win for Manchester City. And every celebration that they did deserved the standing ovation they got. I, I just thought, I understand what you mean about creativity. And because of the games coming thick and fast, he's rotating his squad more than he wants to do. But they were were just incredible yesterday. It was a really proud performance, I thought. Mm -hmm.
0: I can't argue with what you're saying. My my argument would be that having lost the three players that they did in the summer, i.e. Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, who I know is getting a lot of stick, uh, now at Chelsea, by some people anyway, and Alexander Sinchenko, who knows injured, that although we brought numerically players in, we have lost, it seemed the variety within midfield, which is the engine room, which is where Pep sees things as the most crucial. He wants every player to be a midfielder. And, and the other side of the argument, I'll get Harland's thoughts on this in a second, is that Um, whilst I can't disagree with either of what you two have said about the the enormous effort that went in and the determination the togetherness and everything like that which is so to be admired and I do admire it with you know if you look at and, and I don't want to sound like one of the you know, the radio stations or the new or the journalists or whatever who have a go at City and keep quoting prices and whatever. But, but the resources that City have at their disposal, the amount of money that they've spent and the quality of plays that they've gone for, Fulham can't compete with City. They're nowhere near. Neither are Brentford who City play next week, neither are Brighton. The Gulf is so big and it isn't about arrogance. City should be expected to beat all these teams comfortably. And whilst it went down to 10 men, and we'll talk about the sending off in a minute, um even with 10 men, I, I'd still expect City to win that game, possibly even more comfortably than they did in the end. That, that's mm. my my only question really. But let me ask yeah, Carl hey, and then well, can go, I just say on, this one
3: thing here yeah. to interrupt. I full on, uh, yes you're right, money wise. But 100%, they can match desire and work rate. And yesterday, they didn't match it. They didn't match City's work rate and the desire to win that game. Correct. And, and Correct. Les was right. They could have they could have changed their tactics round and put us on the back foot a lot more than they did. And really, realistically, they invited us onto them all the time. You know, the possession, like Les said before, the possession yesterday was incredible with 10 men. So yes, they can't money-wise, and there's you know we're not stupid. We know that we've got the resources to do that, but any team can match us for work rate and desire, but not not many of them do it, if any. They don't.
0: Yeah, God. and you've got to you've got to say hats off to Pep for that. Haven't you? I mean, that is some some team spirit that he's created. Yeah, I think, I
1: think if you if you look, you mentioned about the players that have left, and. Um, but look at the players that have come into the squad. And you've got to think, City above probably any other premiership team have got the most amazing recruitment system there is. The standard of players, yeah, they spent like 100 million on Grealish and things like that, but the standard of players that they bring into the club is just, well, I can't think of one for quite a while now has been disappointing. They're at an incredible standard. Uh, And as I said, far better than, I can't think of any other premiership team that's built such a strong squad of players. I mean, you look across the road, they have no chance. It's just an absolute brilliant reflection on the, the scouting system and the recruitment system that City
0: have got going. Can't disagree with that at all. Harlan, what, what do you want to say on all this?
2: Well, Les, ju- just to just to kind of preempt it, if I'm if, if I'm being generally honest with you, I want to ask you a really important question later on, which is something I was talking to a younger lad behind me the way He's I think he's just turned 18, 19. And we during one of the games, I I always what Ian knows I'm an intense watcher of the games, I'm always analyzing the performance, not just for the podcast, so I can talk eloquently about it as best I want to or as best I can, but just because it's, I'm an obsessive like that. But there was, there was, I can't remember which game it was now, but it was, there was a lull in the game, a really, really dull lull where we were just over recycling. And I turned to this lad and I just said, this isn't quite good enough, is it? But we were talking about how good we are. And it must have been about a minute or two we were talking, whilst keeping eyes on the game. And I said something about, and I don't like doing it usually, but comparing teams. And I asked Joe Royal the question the other week. Um, and it wasn't a direct, can you compare your side to our side now? It was more a case of, like Steve was just saying, character, will, desire, determination and that kind of stuff. But well, the question I'll ask you later on, just to put the seed in your mind about me asking it, is about two or three City teams that you have either seen or have worked amongst and, and, and about squad, squad depth and, uh, and players in that. Um, but before I do, just a couple of points from me. Uh, they broke very well yesterday at times, and they were just missing end product for them. There's a couple of times around 65, 70, and then around the 80 minute mark, where I actually started to cringe up next to our Jess, as I call that's my Mrs. Les, um, and said to her, "Oh no, I don't like the look of this." And it reminded me very much of the day we lost to Chelsea 3-1 when Willie Allen Hazard scored, but we had Kolarov and Cleary playing as right and left centre halves. If you remember that one, Steve, and yeah. Willie Allen had an up absolute ball that day and I felt like we were really defensively imbalanced having four centre halves on the pitch and felt like what was going to happen is that players were going to start going who's the centre half going who's the centre half staying and it causes a few issues to me or for me Um, it was almost like there was times when Aki didn't know whether to go central and whether he'd be covered at left back or whether Stones knew that he could then push somewhere else and then allow the other centre half to take his position it seemed a bit Complex, but they managed it well in the end. But there was times when when Fulham broke and had they ever had Mitrovic or Dekadova Reid on the pitch to swing early crosses into or play the ball in behind or in between our left centre-half and centre-half, we could have been punished yesterday on two or three occasions. And the fact they didn't have their Haaland up top, for me, in the end was a bit of a let-off because there was opportunities for them to maybe send the early crossing, but there wasn't a Mitrovic or a Dekadova Reid in there. So what they did instead is, they tried to overplay it, and then they lost possession, and we broke ourselves. Um, and I think that for me, all right, it's hindsight, whatever else, and it didn't happen. So it's like you know, if me, you know, if me, if, if my granddad, you know, was me, was my mum's it'd be my dad, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, in the, in the case, but you know, they they probably could have punished us. So in that sense, it kind of backs up what you were saying that we weren't at our best defensively, and we weren't at our best defensively in midfield either, and we allowed. Fulham to have a bit more ball than they should, even though we dominated possession with 10 men. And probably could have been punished against a more potent Fulham attack. And I was frustrated at 70 minutes when that started to happen because I thought, you know, if we actually concede a second day, um, you know, we 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 will lose, we will lose this match because Fulham then will go, you know. Eleven men behind the ball, including a keeper, and will really, really frustrate us. And we've not looked like you know we've not like breaking them down too much so far. So it's going to be even harder with ten men, two one down. That would have been, you know, I can't say impossible because we beat QPR and Villa, but a very, very, very unrealistic objective for me. Um, and at seventy, I was thinking this is this is poor city. This like you know we we've managed the ball well, Chappie. You're right, you're right, Steve. The possession was brilliant with ten men. But had City have lost that game 2-1, nobody would have give a crap about the possession, about you know the fact we were down to ten men and still managed to show heart and desire. Because everyone, a lot of people have been coming out the ground. Even those that are saying that now, saying that was crap. We've lost 2-1 at home. If Arsenal win tomorrow, they'll stretch their lead. And and that's why results sometimes can cause a fickle team fans. Where when we win, it was you know, and I'm not saying that's you two. I just mean that in general. Um, we went on and won it, and the last 20 minutes for me was different class from the fans. I thought we were excellent as a collective. I felt like we believed that we could win the game because something changed. I, De Bruyne kind of did that thing where he goes down and ties his shoelaces, and it's like, that's his sign to say, you're getting it now. He did it against Villa. He goes down and undoes t- his right boot, reties it. And I always call it the De Bruyne manoeuvre. He just, he, re, he re-energises himself. It's like I'm tightening my boot because you're gonna get slammed. And he did it yesterday. And then it folded and Harland. And I thought Alvarez was excellent before it. But um, we went on and the crowd started to believe we could get a goal. Harland puts the penalty in. You'd have felt Jappy uh, said before, you know, you'd have walked in and thought that Fulham had 10 men. In the same way, you'd have walked in and thought it was a title deciding final day of the season, Ian. The way that we celebrated Harland's penalty, the way that the fans got behind the players. The celebration at the end from Pep Guardiola was world, world class. Jurgen Klopp is a pantomime manager. Everything Guardiola does, fans out there say he does it for the cameras. He doesn't give a shite about the cameras, Ian. That's the first time I've swore on the pod, by the way. But he doesn't care. He's not bothered. He does it because he's that intensely uh, involved in the game from minute one to minute 95 and even the five minutes after when he's having his little debrief in his own mind he, he, he lives and breathes every minute and he loves City and he loves Manchester. And if I'm honest, if Pep Guardiola was to get any tattoo on his arm of any football club's badge, it wouldn't be Barcelona, it wouldn't be Bayern Munich, it would be a City badge. Because we are the fans, I believe, that have treated him with the most unbelievable respect, have given him everything that he's ever wanted as a football manager, and we're the only club that give him what we give him, and that is the heart and desire that he's seen. The Barcelona fans were quite hard on Guardiola at the end of his tenure there, even after winning silverware. He doesn't get that from us, Ian. He gets love, and that's why I think he'll extend his contract. We've got a couple more points on the game, but I'll let let one of the lads come in.
0: I'm going to let you take a breath now, Harlan. That that was a (laughs) a magnificent sort of rant, really. But um, there's a couple of things that uh, that I want to talk about before we come back to some reminiscing, uh, which is always fun anyway. Um, But... First of all, um, the penalty um, and the sending off of Joe Cancelo. Now, last week in the podcast, we did talk a little bit about Gio Cancelo and there was a little bit of a suggestion that defensively, he can be a little bit of a liability. Obviously, the Liverpool game three came through Cancelo. I think somebody mentioned the, the, the Madrid game has been another one where perhaps he switched off. And he made a mistake yesterday, although... You may, one of you um, or all of you, uh, might argue that it shouldn't have been a sending off and or whatever. So I just wonder what your thoughts are on the sending off and the significance of of that sending off. So Steve, was that a red card? Was it a, was it a, a penalty? I mean, how, how do you view it?
3: I've had something little think about it, but I think, in all honesty, and not, not the city bias that we have, is that. Uh, Yes, it looks a foul. I'll be honest with you. I know it's, I mean, obviously, when Les played, it'd be a shoulder charge. And, you know, you've just been too strong. A little bit like uh, Haaland's goal against uh, Brighton, where he just muscled the defender out and then put it in the net. But obviously, when a defender does it, it's a penalty. And then, but, and I think the double jeopardy, where it's a yellow card, if you give a penalty, is a genuine attempt at the ball. And the referee's obviously, the referee was very poor, by the way. Uh, I don't think he thought it was a genuine attempt. It was just a barge over. You know, it, it, it's, it's close. It's close. But, you know, we've, we've got to live with it. And, yes, he's it, very lucky. If you watch the game again, the ball ricochets into – I think it was Harry Wilson, wasn't it, who, who was running through. He sort of ricochets into his his path. Whereas and the, uh, Cancelo doesn't, he, you know, he's, he's not switched off, but it, it's just the way the ball bounced and he, he you know, he did it. So, yeah, I, I think, let's be honest, I think yes, it, yes to both really, penalty is ending off. Nice. Well, yeah, I, I suppose
1: I agree with what you said about um, Cancelo, who is, in my opinion, an absolutely phenomenal player, fantastic going forward, brilliant on the ball, as a slight deficiency on the odd occasion, defensively, I would agree with that. Uh, bit rash at times. Um, I suppose if if it, it was a foul, which it probably was, and it was a penalty, and then he's the last man, so I suppose the decision is to send him off. Uh, but I don't think it detracted from City's performance really. It just and I agree with Harlan that, that is the probably the most the games that I've been to this season, the, the crowd yesterday were as noisy as I've heard this season. For me, the games that I've been to, and it was as if we're, we've are we got our backs to the wall. We're down to 10 men. Um, we, we need the three points. And it was like the, like Harlan said, the crowd really, really, really got behind the team amazingly. Uh, and I think that was probably a large part of the reason why City won in the end. The players, the players and the crowd showed the
0: same attitude, same determination, same desire. Absolutely. It got them over the line. I'll ask you a slightly different question then, Harlan. I'll unleash you on another one. <laughs> um, last, last week... We we did talk about Jack Grealish on the podcast. So now there's been a couple of games in the week. Seville, um, when City were a goal down. And there's been this game and City weren't leading. It was one all at the time. In both occasions, Grealish was taken off and on came Phil Foden, for example, yesterday. The game changed completely. The pace of the game changed. The tempo of the game changed. Um, I heard a fascinating debate between City fans on a radio station. I was, I was driving back from the game, some arguing yeah. that, um, you know, Grealish was misunderstood and was, had a lot of strength to him and others saying that, you know, he was a, a problem. Uh, but he's undoubtedly a player that a lot of people talk about, not just because of the price tag, but just because his, it feels to me his style of playing is different than when City are at their absolute best, which is all about pass, move, pass, move, slick, pass, move, quick, 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 quick. And that isn't how Grealish plays. So I just wonder, all three of you can have a, a go at this one, but Harlan, you kick us off with, you know, it, I mean, Pep's took him off twice now when it hasn't been going right, and City have ended up winning the game because, of, because due to the yeah. change. So is Grealish a problem? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Ian, I think I think a key point to make is that and this is relevant to what I'm about to say next. It's just a, a prelude to it. Um, Kevin De Bruyne or Jack is Jack Grealish's idol. Uh, not always been his idol, of course. Kevin wasn't playing when Jack was five. But what I mean by that is he's 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 loved watching him play for City. When he got the move to City, I believe that playing with Kevin De Bruyne would have been one of the extra things that would have enticed him to come and take the role on. And move for a million quid and go, you know what? Kevin moved for half of what I'm moving for now. And Phil Thompson and uh, Paul Merson were criticising Kevin for moving for 50. Just slot that back in there again. Um, But Jack Grealish was in awe of Kevin De Bruyne when he signed for the club. And when we signed Kevin De Bruyne under Pellegrini in that first season, I don't remember Kevin De Bruyne picking up the ball from um, Fernandinho at the time or uh, if I'm right, it was Javi Garcia as well who was still at the club then. Um, I don't remember him picking up the ball from either of them or Yaya Toure and driving with it like he does now. When he really motors through midfield and he barges, it's almost Yaya-esque when Kevin really gets going and he's shoving players off him. And he's driving the ball to the pitch. And I saw Jack do it in the derby last year, lads. You might remember it when Jack kept picking up the ball in midfield and he was driving through United's midfield and he was really motoring forward. Um, We turned Kevin De Bruyne into that player and I don't think he really became that player really under Pellegrini. It was when Pep got hold of him and said, I can get more out of Kevin. He was only 25 at the time, so I think Pep saw that there was something missing from Kevin's game and it was that Yaya Torre-esque horse way of galloping up a pitch and just being bullish. And I think Jack has learned now to take a bit more of a kicking and isn't as lightweight as he maybe was at Villa. He gets fouled a lot, but seems to be able to take it a bit better now and doesn't do as much rolling around and diving around as much. And I think Jack could take take a leaf out of Kevin's book, knock on Pep's door and say, gaffer, it's not working on the left-hand side for me. I'm isolated. Um, I've got a lot of attributes to add to your team. Um, Even if you have to sit on the bench, but I've got to become a number in midfield, Central midfield, I mean. Now, a bit like Bernardo Silva evolved into. I don't mind going even further down your pecking order to play in a better position for me, i.e. central midfield alongside Kevin or alongside uh, Bernardo Silva in front of Rodri or even alongside Gundogan uh, if Kevin De Bruyne was being rested in a cup game or something. I just feel like Jack's attributes will be much better in a central area where he can either go left or right and really gallop at the opposition centre-halves and dominate midfields. Than stuck out on the left hand side, but isolated. Hasn't, hasn't, hasn't the strength,
0: hasn't the strength of City in the last few years been a, about players not being in one position? And doesn't Grealish always drift to the left? Are we, are we saying that the only reason he plays on the left is because? tells him to play there and stay there, surely he can pick the ball up and run to the middle or go to the, or whatever, because in the system, as one player moves, another player comes in to sort of fill in yeah, behind I, them. I,
2: yeah, I get that. I get that. Because like I like you're saying Ian there, if Bernardo Silva's playing as a, as a right central midfielder, he'll drop, he'll pick up the ball. He
0: plays good, right, Ruben he plays left, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, 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 let's get yeah. Stephen and, and, and Les on this. I mean, What, what, what yeah. do you think, Steve? I think it is... He plays on the left because he's told to play on the left.
3: He wonders about. I mean, I know Alan mentioned last year's derby match, but let's say we'll go with more recent with this year's derby match. He absolutely ripped United to pieces this year. He had a great game. And I think Pep likes his wide players wide and he doesn't want them to come inside. You can see him pointing with his arms stretched out, get wide, get wide. The famous story where Thierry Henry played for him at Barcelona and he went across the pitch and scored a goal. And Pep told him, why, why were you in that position? I've told you to stay out wide. And that's, you know, Grealish is maybe learning to listen to what he's told. But I, what I would say is why he comes off as well, is that because he's right-footed strongly, he wants to come inside. Whereas when Phil Folden comes on, he's left-footed. He can go on the outside, which quickens our attack then. Or so maybe it's not because he's playing too badly. It's just the way that we change our outlook and... We want a left-footed player like Leroy Sané to go past people, and, F- and Folding does that fantastic. So I, I don't think it's because he's playing badly. I just think it's tactically it's better for Phil Folding to go past out on the outside, and he put a couple of great crosses over straight away. I think I, I saw sort of, Jack, Jack last year was probably six and a half out of ten, but this year he's up to seven, seven and a half, and he's not. You know, with Aston Villa, he didn't have 10 people sat behind the ball waiting to defend. <laughs> so he's, he is getting used to it. I'm not making any excuses for him. The 100 million doesn't come into it because that's nothing to do with him. You know, that's the, between the two clubs. And if that was his price tag that, that we had to pay, we had to pay. He's getting better. But we do, we look quicker because Folder is quicker, but he's left-footed and can go on the outside. So I think he that, broke through, on Steve. He-
2: he broke He's through what? at Villa as a, as, a, as, a, as a. He broke through at Villa as a number ten. Like when yeah. Jack first started, he was playing as a number ten. Like so, like where, where's this? Where's this? Like under. Um, like in his last season at Villa, he drifted out onto that left hand side and became quite immense at ripping. Like, that Liverpool seven two was phenomenal yeah. in that game. He ripped Van Dyke to bits when Van Dyke was coming across to help. I think it. Mattered. He tore him up to Pete. Him and Watkins were ridiculous in that game. Um, yeah. But I think, like you said, with the Henri bit, uh, Pep actually took him off that day, actually, when he'd scored the goal and said, like, yeah. you'll never you'll never disobey me again, Thierry, like, this is it. And it was the end for Henri that, because Pep doesn't like, you know, Ibrahimović disobeyed him. He got rid of him. Samuel Leto had a bust-up with Pep. He got rid of him. These players that wanted to be free spirits, didn't really like them in the end. Um, And that's just maybe kept Pep's character. But if Jack disobeys him, I mean, no doubt that if him and Jack, had this disagreement over a prolonged period of time that Jack could be out the door quicker than you could say, Jack Grealish. So I think Jack's frightened to death of one, falling down the pecking order and two, maybe not playing for us as regularly. And that's the reason why he's so disciplined. But I think Jack Central would be frightening. Um, but then, like you said, Ian, it's very, very swamped in there. It's already hard enough to get Gundogan, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne uh, and, and, you know, even, even some of the younger lads in there, even Cole Palmer's having to play Central when he's, when he's playing the odd game, because we can't get him on the right-hand side if, if Mars is in form. So, difficult. Sorry, Les.
0: Well, Les, I mean, you've been a manager, player, in the, in the dressing room with all sorts of different different characters. So, um, what's your assessment of it all?
1: I mean, I, I can see all your points, uh, and I'll go along with all your points. All, the only thing I'd say about Jack Grealish is, I think that, in a lot of people's eyes, the 100 hundred million is a problem. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on him. I think he's 100% happy actually starting a game no matter what position he's playing in. As far as always cutting in on the inside and coming on his right foot, that is what he will always do. Um, But as I said, if he starts a game, he doesn't care where he plays. Perhaps Arlen could be right. He, He was the big fish at Aston Villa. He was confident. He knew he was the best player and he caused problems in that midfield area, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he's competing in those positions now with some unbelievably world-class players like your Gundoans, your Bernardo Silva, your Kevin De Bruyne, your Phil and So that's really never going to be a regular position for him. I think he sees an opportunity, Pepsi's sees an opportunity for Grealish to use his ability and use his particular skills and I think at this moment in time, that's probably as much as he could wish for Grealish. I think he's he's actually, <laughs> in training, et cetera, he's teamed up with Harland. They seem to have formed a, stro- a strong bond together. Uh, so I hope a lot of Haaland rubs off on Grealish because Haaland lives a very, very clean life, doesn't drink, doesn't go out, lives, eats and breathes football. He's the last out of the training ground, yeah. batters himself in the gym, uh, and if it takes a leave out of his book, then it'll it'll stand him in good stead for the rest of his time at City. But he's certainly, I think, a player with immense ability. Um, and I think that's the position he's going to be playing in when he actually plays, when he starts for City for a while yet.
0: Right, let, let's let's park what we've been watching recently and uh, and let's indulge ourselves in in chatting to you Chappie, about the characters that you've worked on in the dress work, work within the dressing room I don't know whether to pick a, a particular season a particular player um, or anything so um, it's carte blanche basically um because uh, last time you came on you told us some great stories about Mario Balotelli, so um I'm, I'm I'm unleashing you now, Les. You know to tell us tell us some stories. Uh, there's a lot I can't tell you. <laughs> uh,
1: let me think. Did I tell you about the um, the uh, story about Mario? The week he le- the the week after he left City. Don't think so. No. Well, Right. Well, I used to I used to do tours of the training ground. Peter Barnes or Joe Corrigan or Tommy Booth would show about 14 or 15 fans around the stadium and then they get transported over to Carrington. And I would show them around the training ground medical room, gymnasium, laundry, boot room, dressing room. And the week after Mario had left, I had this party, I was showing them around and we went into the dressing room. And I said, this is Mario's locker. Uh, and the two lockers on either side of Mario's locker were empty because nobody would get changed next to him, afraid of what he would do at, at any particular time. So I said, This is Mario's locker. Open the door, and about 30 parking tickets fell out, uh, and a wage slip. And he'd been fined by the club that month. He was always getting fined for some something, some misdemeanour or another. He was fined by the club that month, a hundred grand. <laughs> but there was still plenty left on the bottom line. <laughs> he'd go out. He'd go out training, and he'd come in after. He might have been doing a bit of extra uh, finishing after training had finished. He would do some more finishing. He'd come in after. Uh, And he said, oh, chappie, I've I've lost an earring. Now, he used to train in like diamonds, diamond earrings, necklaces, bracelets and everything. And one particular day, he'd lost this diamond earring. It was like 10 grand, but he wasn't bothered. So I shot out on my hands and knees looking for this diamond earring for about an hour. Couldn't find it. Well, I told him I couldn't find it. No, I couldn't find it. I can but see it now. wasn't, but so everything you read, hear, and see about Mario is probably true. <laughs>
0: I went to uh, Wrexham today to watch the FA Cup, too. I was commentating for Oldham Athletic, and uh, I was in the car with a guy called Roy Butterworth, who has uh, been around at Oldham Athletic for ages. And there was a guy called Gordon, who uh, was a great character at Oldham, sadly passed away now. and He told me a story in it, and maybe it'll prompt something from you, Les, in the sense that he used to say that Gordon was, was, was not a joker um, and it was very hard to sort of catch him out in terms of playing a prank on him or do, do something to, to get at him. And Roy told me this story, which I'll keep very brief, but well, basically they were going off to an away game and you detect the equipment within the ISDN kit and um, Roy had already put the ISDN kit in the car um, before Gordon had come out of the office So, and he didn't tell him and he thought, and I reckon he'll forget this ISDN kit. So I'm not going to say anything to him at this stage, but it's already in the car. So Gordon gets in the car. They set off somewhere. They're going to Bristol or somewhere like that. And when they're about halfway through, um, knowing what he was doing, Roy said to Gordon, you know, did you put the ISDN kit in the boot before? And Gordon said, you could see, he could see that his mind was like, no, I didn't and he said it's the only time I ever caught him out because Gordon was so adamant that he was never going to get caught out and he was actually quite a straight person, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the Joker, that, that Roy let this story go on for like, Uh, half an hour while the car was driving and they were ringing up the club and saying, because they'd gone the Friday night before a Saturday game, that they'll bring this ISDN kit on the Sunday and eventually told him. And I just wonder, when you've got all these characters in the dressing room, the Mario Balatellis before that, maybe the Kevin Horlocks or whoever it was that were playing the jokes, were the people in the dressing room who were... Always the butt of the joke that were always the straight one that that never did anything themselves. And then maybe when they get caught, they're the ones that everybody laughs at. What were the characters like that? Yeah, there was a big great mix of characters throughout the seasons,
1: different seasons, different mixes of characters. Um Pantilimon used to be quite a brunt of a few jokes with me, Kollarov and Eddie Jekyll and and Savage. Um, uh, ben Thatcher was a character. Now, Ben Thatcher, unfortunately, has got this shocking reputation because of his tackle on, well, his assault on Mendez, um, for which he, I interviewed him about four or five years ago. And he said, if he could change 30 seconds of his life, that would be it. Um, but it used to he's the one who started getting the lads to give me money. To drink the most hideous things you could possibly imagine, like glasses full of tea leaves, coffee grounds, prawn cocktail sauce—hideous uh, things. But well, it used to, <laughs> it used to earn me a few bob. And uh, I think the worst one was it, it made me snort two lines of pepper and then eat a tablespoonful of pepper, and I couldn't sneeze or have a drink for five minutes. Uh, And I think my forehead went numb and I think I I lost the use of my left leg for about five minutes. (laughs) But he used to do ridiculous things and he he used to do other things. He used to leave deposits in the kit room. I'll not tell you what of. Um, (laughs) uh, But absolute diamond lad in the dressing room. Fantastic character in the dressing room. Uh, Every dressing room should have a Ben Thatcher, really. He was just phenomenal. But like you said before, you mentioned another one, Kevin Horlock. There's so many stories I can't tell you about. Kevin Horlock, which is unfortunate. <laughs> uh, it, there's been so many throughout the years. I'm just trying to think if there's any specific
0: bizarre the story. Thing, the great thing for us when we're watching this, because obviously we're, we're talking to each other on Zoom, and I can see Les's face. So as he's actually thinking back to the stories and the ones he can't tell us. You can <laughs> can actually see his brain working. Uh, surely I can't tell that one. Surely, <laughs> you know you just know that that's what's going through your mind. You can
3: but, see his so. smile as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could I tell think. you I could
2: sorry, just,
3: Steve. Yep. Yeah. Go, oh, go on Les.
2: Go on Les I was just gonna right. say I was going to tell
1: would I, I would tell you quite a plummy story from when I was player assistant manager at Preston I know it's not connected with City, but the story itself is quite bizarre. We, um, do you want me to tell it you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right.
1: we, well, John McGrath was the manager. I was player assistant manager. And in the first season, we got promotion from the fourth to the third division. Second season, we got in the playoffs. So before, we're playing Port Vale in the first leg of the playoff away at Port Vale. So McGrath said to me, Take the players away. I booked a hotel in Frodsham. Take the players away for four days. Relax, do a bit of training, get yourselves ready for this big game on Saturday. He says, I'm not coming because the players won't relax. So I said, fair enough. So we've gone to, I don't know whether you know Frodsham or not, but it's on the top of a hill on the way to Chester along the N56. And on the top of this hill was a hotel. Next to the hotel was a nightclub and behind the hotel and the nightclub, miles and miles of fields and and bizarrely enough caves. So we all met uh, in the hotel on the evening and obviously at the nightclub, Uh, I said, right, meet in reception 10 o'clock tomorrow morning for training. So all the players met in reception 10 o'clock, we set off through the fields. We got about five minutes. I said, right, let's do some stretches. So we're doing some stretches. I said, right, the training session this morning, because I could see one or two were a bit worse for work. I said, the training session this morning, give me five minutes. I'm going to set off. You have to come and find me. That's the training session today. <laughs> so uh, I, I left them there doing stretches. I set off, found a cave, and then immediately transformed into a caveman. I removed all my clothes apart from my trainers. <laughs> And I found a branch of a tree. So I'm stood in this cave naked, just with trainers on, holding this branch of a tree, waiting for the players to come past. And I was going to jump out and scare them as a cave on it, whatever. So anyway, three, four, five, six, seven minutes had gone by, and it's a long time to be stood in the cave <laughs> with nothing on. Anyway, I hear this noise, runs out, bloke walking his dog. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been some sight. Um, um,
2: <laughs> where were the players, Les, nightclub? The, been, players, having, having... No. the players
1: had found my clothes hidden under a brush, under a bush, found, me, found all my clothes and gone back to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere with just my trainers on. <laughs> Got to find my way back to the hotel. So I've covered myself in leaves and things and all sorts to cover myself up.
3: Was it very oh, cold, you know what, Les? You know what? They could they could, no, make, a call, they could make a
2: carry on film and they could make a carry-on film out of it and call it carry on Chappie. You're great at that um one thing I wanted to ask you, Chappie, is something before we go, in that I've been I've been mulling over for absolute years. And when when you were on last time and Ian said it's Les Chapman, I wasn't available to come on the pod, and I was absolutely wounded. And that's because you're such a legend of the club. Um, you're you. as good as a player for me because without <laughs> you and without you doing what you did, the players wouldn't have been able to perform. I mean, no doubt, about, without you doing all these fun bits and pieces, chappie, I don't think the players that we had at the time would have relaxed. Maybe Alexander Kolarov and Savic and uh, you know maybe even Edin, as nice as he was, might have been a bit more serious and that might have hindered him being serious without the jokes. <laughs> but thank you for that. But thank but you. on on Mario, on Mario being Mario Balotelli and being in such a free spirit. I mean, his penalty record's a, 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 an absolute joke. It's ridiculously good, isn't it? But but one thing that I've always wondered is this, that, one, I'm mesmerised how Sergio Aguero stayed on his feet when he stepped over Tei e Taiwo for the third against QPR. Because for me, any player that feels contact there, and he did feel contact. I've watched the replay hundreds of times. He definitely catches him on the right ankle. Uh, sorry, on the uh, left ankle or right ankle. You know whichever one it was? Anyway, he steps over him, doesn't he? And he gets contact. And Aguero could go down, right? And doesn't. Stays on his feet. He's off balance and he cracks it past the keeper, Paddy Kenny, yeah? But yeah. if he goes down there or if Tey Tawo goes in harder on him and, and, and smashes into the floor and we get a last-minute penalty against QPR, not only would there have been a deliberation about who was on the pitch at the time, he assisted Aguero, or passed the ball to Aguero for that, whether he would have took the penalty or whether Sergio would. Now, I know Mario would have wanted to take it because he would have just casually stepped up, slotted it past Paddy Kenny and then stood there with his arms out, probably waving his shoulder at the crowd. But would Mario have let Aguero take the penalty? Would he have wanted to take it himself? And being who he is, do you think he'd have scored it? And would Mario have stayed at Manchester City... As a legend for scoring that goal and had a better career off the back of it and matured because he scored the winner against QPR.
1: Uh right. We'll take one point at a time. They would have designated a penalty taker before the game. So, whoever that was, I don't know. It could have been Mario, it could have been Aguero, I don't know. Uh so that would have been sorted before the match actually started. Uh Mario would have scored. Mario had. For me, the hardest shot, he could strike a ball at a phenomenal pace, Um, great ability, never ever be a team player. So in answer to your question, I don't think he would have ever changed if he had scored the winning penalty against QPR. I don't think that would have changed in one iota. Uh, I don't think he would have stayed for the fact that he was, he was very, very much an individual. He was the most unpredictable player you could possibly imagine, on and off the field. Uh, I, I would presume that he would have just continued with the similar career that he's had. I don't think anything could change, or anyone could change
0: Mario. I think you probably so no right. no statue
2: then. No statue. No statue for Mario
1: then. No. I don't. I don't think they'll erect a statue for Mario.
0: No, absolutely not. <laughs> listen, listen. It's been a great hour. Um. And Old City, you've got two more games now before the World Cup. Um, there will be a podcast that we'll record on Monday evening after the Brentford game. So we'll debrief on what happened against or what will have happened as we're speaking now against Chelsea and Brentford. Uh, but thanks very much. I have to say, a big big thank you to Les Chappie Chapman, who, as always, is brilliant and is, will always be welcome on this podcast. So okay. Steve to Harlan and to you for listening and of course to howardsolicitors.com or um, law at howardsolicitors um, if you want to contact them and tell them that you've heard about the work they do the great work they do they do a lot of work to help the community they're not one of these solicitors who just you know are there to, to help people who've got loads of money I know that they do a lot of work with people who uh, are worried about how they're going to pay for everything so please don't hesitate to contact them. Tell them that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast and thank them for their support. So thanks very much to Harlan, to, to Steve and to, to Chappie. And um, City win another game um, and remain in the top two in the Premier League as we approach the World Cup. We, we love watching City. We all do. I mean, they play fantastic football. We've got the best manager the club's ever had. Probably they're one of the best coaches has ever been. And from my distance... One of the best human beings that's been associated with, with my football club as well. So I can't think of anything negative to say. So there's only one thing to say to finish off the podcast. Isn't it great being a blue?